Welcome to this Bible Center Church Core class. We hope that this in-depth teaching of God's Word will challenge you to grow in your knowledge of Him and help you become a disciple who makes more disciples. Welcome to our core class on God's Word. So today we're going to focus on a couple things. We're going to talk about inspiration and transmission. If you prefer having like printed materials in front of you to take notes as we talk and to be able to look at things while we talk, we have these books right here. It just says Bible Doctrine on the front. It's our 201 core class materials. There's a lot of materials that we're going to work through over time. It's really seven smaller books combined into one larger book. You can purchase this by ordering it and paying $10 and we can print this out for you and have it ready for you on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to have it, just there'll be a spot there on the screen where you can click, go to the form, and you can order one today. And you might think $10 seems like a lot. It was $5 per book, so it used to be $35 for this material. We've been able to put it all together and now it's only $10. So doing our best to make it as easy for you as possible. So let's talk about God's Word. The first thing that's important for us to realize, recognize, and respond to is that this is indeed God's very Word. So when we say inspiration, we mean that God Himself inspired it. 2 Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says that all of God's, all of the Word, all of the Bible is God-breathed. It's come from the very mouth of God. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for rebuking teaching, training in righteousness. So 2 Timothy 3.16 just says flat out that the Word of God is inspired. Jesus, when He shows up and He's hanging out with His disciples, He says He's not here to abolish the law or the written Word, but to fulfill it. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, He talks about the fact that not one iota or not one dotting of the I or crossing of the T will disappear from the Word of God until the end of the earth. So He basically says that the Word of God which is from him, from his Father, is going to continue and endure no matter what. And indeed, it has. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, if you look up that verse, it's interesting. Paul uses the argument that even the single individual letters from the Old Testament are ordained by God. He talks about the fact that the Old Testament didn't say seeds, but it said seed. So even in that verse, he's talking about the fact that the Old Testament is referring to the coming Christ. It's referring to Jesus, a singular person. And he uses the argument that because that one letter, that one letter, that extra S isn't there, it must refer to Jesus. So it talks about the fact that even to the letter, the Bible is exactly what God intended it to be in the New Testament. Peter's writing, and he's talking about Paul's letters, and he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, he calls, calls Paul's writings Scripture, which is the same word used for the Old Testament. He recognizes this as being God working through Paul, writing God's words, inspired, just like the Old Testament. We see that it is a Spirit-led process of the Word of God being written. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So everything that they were moved to write down was by the hand of God through the Holy Spirit. So how did this happen? How did, how did authors write the Word of God? Were they put into a trance and God kind of took His hand and put it over their hand and made them write something specific? Well, we see that the Word of God was written in different ways, 
in different times. Uh, so there's different methods of inspiration. It even says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. So referencing the Old Testament, the New Testament, the author of Hebrews says that God worked in and through the prophets and the authors of the Old Testament in different ways. Here's a, here's a quote from a theologian where it says, instead of reducing the writers to the level of machines or typewriters, we have insisted that while they wrote or spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, they nevertheless remained thinking, willing, self-conscious beings whose particular styles and mannerisms were clearly traceable in their writings. So even as you spend time reading the writings of John, John, 1 John, 2 John, there's certain things that he says and phrases that he uses that Paul doesn't use, that Peter doesn't use. So you see their personalities come out. There are times when the Lord simply looks at the author and says, write what you see, or thus says the Lord, and then they basically dictate what the Lord says. Other times, like in the example of Luke and of John, you see that the author is called to compile and do research and take what he's learned and determine what should be written. There's oftentimes an intention or a purpose behind it. Luke compiled what he learned about Jesus for his friend Theophilus. Matthew, when he wrote the Gospel of Matthew, compiled stuff for Jewish readers. John compiled research and compiled what he wrote for those who are Greek to know who Jesus was, that they might believe in and on Christ. So there was intention and purpose, which God ordained for them when they wrote what they wrote. There are other times when the Lord says to the author, write what you see, and then a vision takes place. Like the book of Revelation, he tells John, write what you see on the scroll. And then all of a sudden the author looks up and something amazing happens before him and he records what he sees. There's other times when they're called to write as witnesses. At the beginning of 1 John, John talks about the fact that describing Jesus and what he sees, he says, we saw it, we touched it, we were a part of it. Like he was an eyewitness and what he's writing is from an eyewitness account and point of view. So God used lots of different ways to give us his word, to inspire the Bible that we have today. So the next question, after we believe the fact that it's inspired by God, how did it go from the original to what you have sitting on your desk today? Whatever you have in front of you, or maybe even the app on your phone, what was the transmission process for God's Word? And to have this conversation, the Old Testament was a little bit different than the New Testament. So let's talk first about the Old Testament. A lot of this information comes from a book called The Journey from Texts to Translation by Paul Wagner. Excellent book. If you want to dive really deep, I will put a picture of that on the screen for you in a little bit, but that's a great book for you to go deeper into this conversation. But I tried to summarize it for you, so if you prefer not to read 400 pages, we're going to do it in about five minutes. Uh, first, we see that Scripture was recorded as the history was taking place. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 4, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book. There's this reference to a book that appears to have already existed that they were keeping track of what God was doing. So it wasn't like Moses got to the end of his life and then just tried to remember what God had done. Along the way, this was taking place. In addition to this written record that was taking place, there was a call to oral tradition. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it reminds fathers 
and mothers to continue to pass on this oral tradition of God's word to their children and their children's children. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 9 through 13, it says that Moses would record God's words. The priests would preserve those words, and then they would be read aloud to the people. So there was just this rhythm that took place where they would record the words of God, preserve the words of God, and speak aloud the words of God. And when you look at the book of Joshua, 1 Samuel, 2 Chronicles, Isaiah, Jeremiah, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, over and over again, it said that they pull out a book and they record what has happened. So there's this ongoing recording of everything that's happening while it's happening. So who recorded the Old Testament? Who wrote the Old Testament? Eyewitnesses in the moment. And then they would read it aloud to the others who also heard and saw what had just happened. So how do we know it's accurate? Eyewitnesses wrote it, they preserved it, and they'd read it aloud, and there would be agreement that, yes, this is indeed what the Lord has said. Yes, this is indeed what the Lord has done. By the time we get to Daniel, which is a little bit later in Old Testament history, it says that there is a collection of books available. In chapter 9, verse 2 of Daniel, it says that he reads from Jeremiah. It talks about him like having the ability to go and read different parts of the Old Testament. So a collection of books has already been put together even by the time of Daniel. So the scribes were the ones who would preserve the text. Originally, and this is interesting, the Hebrew Old Testament was not recorded with vowel points. So you and I automatically, when we write, we have our A-E-I-O's in used and sometimes Y's in all of our words. They would have no vowel points. So when Jesus began to speak in Aramaic, the common language, they would have to put vowels in because you can't speak without vowels. So the rabbis were called to preserve this text and to keep it going. So here's something that's interesting. When we talk about the name of God, this is what we have in the Old Testament. We have four consonants, okay, for God's name. Sometimes you'll hear that said as Jehovah. because they put those two vowels in. Those vowels aren't there. We're guessing. How was it originally pronounced? We're not totally sure. But this would be Jehovah. Okay? Sometimes you hear it expressed this way. Yahweh. Yahweh. So, well, how did they say? Did they say Jehovah or did they say Yahweh? We don't actually know with certainty. So when you hear Jehovah or Yahweh, as far as we know, either one could be right. So this was part of the challenge of trying to figure out how to speak the Old Testament because all the vowel points had fallen out. But there was consistency in transmitting the consonants and the way the Hebrew book was, the way the Hebrew scriptures was written from generation to generation through the scribes. Uh, they were very, very careful in making sure they did it just right. Present day chapters and verses of the Old Testament. Those weren't put together until the 1200s, okay? And there was a point in time when we went from the Hebrew Old Testament to a Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint to another thing called the Vulgate, which is the Latin version of the Old Testament. Jesus actually quoted from the Septuagint oftentimes, in fact, more than the Hebrew. So which was the Word of God, the Hebrew or the Greek version? That's not easy to answer. We saw Jesus quote from both. 
So Jesus would quote sometimes from the Hebrew, sometimes he would quote from the Greek version. So we see Jesus using both. Let's talk about the New Testament. In New Testament trans transmission, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, it discusses the fact that the writers were eyewitnesses. They did not follow clever tales. They didn't just hear about Jesus and write whatever they wanted. They were eyewitnesses who saw him, who heard him, and recorded what they saw and what they heard. 1 John 1, 1 through 3, John goes out of his way to communicate the fact that he himself is an eyewitness. He testifies to what he has seen, to what he has heard, and to what he has touched concerning the word of life, which is a reference to Jesus himself. So an eyewitness wrote what he saw and wrote what he heard. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, Paul passes on a description of the gospel that he says he has received. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So there was already stuff written down as 1 Corinthians was written that Paul had read, and then he gives it on to the 1 Corinthians. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we see this commitment to handling the Word of God with accuracy. Um, we're called there to handle it with godliness, to handle it with accuracy, to be careful with the way that we transmit it and talk about it. Some say, okay, in this point of view, is that the Bible's full of fiction and fairy tales. I know my daughter, who is on social media a lot, will sometimes get into arguments with people that just say the Bible's full of errors. The Bible is just made up. How can we trust the Bible? But the reality is, is that the Bible is written by eyewitnesses. And when it was copied and given to other people, those were other people who actually had seen and heard Jesus, where they could say, this was right or this was wrong. There was incredible accountability to the words that, was be, words that were being written down to be consistent with what Jesus said and what Jesus did. So it was transmitted carefully. It was transmitted diligently. We could trust the words that we have. When it comes to the Gospels, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're interesting. Each one has a different audience in mind, and each one kind of has a different intention in why they wrote what they wrote. All of them saw Jesus. It'd be kind of like you and I witnessing a car accident. Perhaps I was up in a tree. I'm not sure how I got there while I was up in the tree. I'm up in a tree. You're right beside it. Someone else is way far away on the other side of the parking lot, and they see it. And someone else is the policeman who writes the report. All four of us saw the same accident happen, but depending on our point of view, depending on whether or not we knew the driver, depending on whether or not we were the officer who was in charge of keeping track of particular things, we would write a story about the accident in different ways while each one of us were accurate in the way we described it. That's much like how the Gospels were written. It should be noted that Jesus taught in such a way to make his words memorable. So even if someone wasn't sitting beside Jesus dictating what he was writing, the way Jesus taught, Jesus was the master teacher of all teachers. He would often use powerful punchlines. He would use stories. He would use hyperbolic speech, which means he would exaggerate things like, if your hand offends you, cut it off. What? People have never spoken like that. So he would say things that would, would cause his uh, audience to remember things in a way that they would never forget. So Jesus spoke in such a way that it was easy for the illustrations, the stories, the intentions, the point to stick with those who heard. So they could be written down accurately. It goes on to say the Bible talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit will remind them of what is said. So God's presence is a part of the entire process of transmitting it from Jesus to the original written words to what we have today. Presently, when it comes to the Old Testament or the New Testament, we have no 
autographs. An autograph would be like the original first, like we don't have Paul's letters. We don't have the Gospel of Matthew sitting in a tomb or a book or a bunch of scrolls sitting somewhere. We don't actually have any of those things. The Gospels were circulated orally for a period of time, and then the Gospels were written down, recorded, copied, and sent out to the churches. Paul would write a letter, they would receive the letter, they would record the letter, and send it out to additional churches. So for us in the church today, we literally have thousands of fragments and pieces of all of the different letters and parts of Scripture that we have recorded and kept track of. So we have thousands of examples of different parts of Scripture. We might have hundreds of chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians in different parts in different museums. So we have all the copies that have been made that we're aware of and they're kept track of. If you'd ever like to see it, like I have a Greek New Testament sitting on my shelf where it shows every variation of every potential word in the New Testament, because there are some variations from copy to copy. Just like if you and I were, if I wrote something down and then you copied it, then someone else copied it, eventually you're going to find some mistakes. But usually you can figure out where the mistake was made. When it comes to the New Testament, the actual number of variants in the New Testament is very small, less than 10%. And the majority of the variations that we find from, from fragment to fragment or from copy to copy are things like the name John, instead of being spelled J-O-H-N, is J-O-H-N-N. The majority of the variations are super, super obvious. There's other variations that look like this. One copy says the good man, the other copy says the man who is good. So in almost all instances, the variations that we do have have nothing to do with the core essentials of the faith. The things that Jesus wanted to make sure that we knew with certainty, this is exactly what's supposed to be written, we have that. With certainty, we know it for sure. Sometimes I'm asked the question, which translation should I use? That is not a simple question to answer. Um, here's what we know. The more modern day translations use all of the fragments, all of the copies that we have available to make the most accurate translation possible. Older translations, like for example, the King James, the King James was translated with a combination of only six or seven medieval manuscripts. So not copies that were close to when Jesus was on earth, they're hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. And by using those couple manuscripts, the KJV was written. Where, for example, today, some of the manuscripts that we have are with, manus with copies that go all the way back to the second century. So the closer you are to when Jesus was here, the more likely it's going to be accurate. Plus, we have more copies to know which were the most understandable, most likely variants between all the examples. So when it comes to the transmission process, there were variations. But we know with basic certainty that 99.9% .9 of them, what the intention was of the original author and which word belongs there. So as you have a Bible in front of you, in my opinion, is one of the greatest wonders on planet Earth. You look at the pyramids, uh, you look at all the different things that have been discussed as the greatest things on Earth. I think the Bible might be the number one thing, greatest thing that we've ever seen happen. The way it was recorded, put together, preserved, so what you have in your hands today is a miracle from God. It is God-breathed, preserved by God for the salvation of the world and the growth of the believer. So with great excitement, next time we'll continue in studying and looking at the Word of God.